good morning, Compass Church. I just want to point out your pastor just said underwear from the stage. This is, this is craziness, but it's good. It's good, because he's a man after my own heart, that means. So it's good to be with you. I've really enjoyed my time here um, leading you through this series, and I expect that God, again, this morning will be faithful when we open his word to speak to us and that his Holy Spirit will be present. And so can we just pray before we get started? Let's pray. Lord God, you are always good to us when it comes to opening your word, because this book is alive, it's active, and it speaks into the very deep parts of us where you reside in our lives. So this morning, God, again, we just pray that your spirit would be loud and clear when it comes to our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So how do you know that God is with you? I'm not just talking about like you know because some preacher told you or because you read it in a book or a Sunday school teacher assured you that God was with you, but how do you really know deep inside your spirit, you know, through experience, that God is with you? Most of us uh, base our conclusions about God being with us on our circumstances in life. If, if, if life is good, it's going along fine, then we think, well, God must be with us. But when hardship comes, difficulty, suffering, things come into our lives that aren't so pleasant, we immediately start to conclude that maybe God has walked away or left us. Now, most of my adult life, I've gotten to speak to a lot of kids in camps. And the number one thing that keeps kids from embracing the truth of the gospel is this belief that God has left them. He doesn't really care about them. And it happens because... Things happen to them in life that just cause them to spin, to lose control, to kind of, you know, kind of lose their center. Some of those things they bring on themselves, just like we do. Some of those things happen to them from outside themselves, just like they do to us. I remember last summer in California at a camp called High Camp, meeting a girl named Lindsay. She came and talked to me one night after a few of the messages, and, and she shared her story with me. It was a painful story. She was a minister's daughter. And she, her dad was like her pillar of faith. And then at some point in the last couple of years, he announced to his family that he was a homosexual, that he was leaving his wife and his ministry and going to pursue a different life. This caused Lindsay to spin spiritually. She's like, wait a minute. How can my dad, this guy that I've known to be but kind of the, the spiritual presence of God in my life, how can he do this? And she confessed to me that she had been spending two years just kind of spinning out of control, acting out in all kinds of crazy ways. I've met tons of kids like Lindsay over the years whose lives are, I don't know, in a, in a spiritual state of vertigo because of the stuff that's happened to them in their life. And, and they really come to believe that God has left them, that he's walked away, that he doesn't really care. He's not really interested in their circumstances. And Really, they're not unlike all of us. When life hammers us, the difficulty for all of us is to kind of reconcile this idea that God is loving, that God is good, and that he's got all the power in the universe to intervene in our lives. And we have a hard time with that concept because we, wait a minute, if, if God has all the power and he really cares about me, why is he letting this go on in my life? And this causes us to spin and have spiritual vertigo. Now, now the Bible has a lot of things to say about the presence of God. Uh, we all know that God is ever-present, right? We learned this a long time ago. 
We can quote verses on it in Scripture. Psalm 139 says, no matter where you go, you can't get away from God. He's always with you. He's always there. But the Bible has something to say about a different kind of presence of God. I like to call it the big P presence of God. The big P presence of God is like when God is up in your face, when you know that God is in the room, when you can feel that he's next to you, when he's kind of, I don't know, holding your hand or sitting in your lap or there's something burning in your heart that you can't explain. And the Bible talks about the big P presence of God in a, a number of different ways. And we all know the people in the scripture experienced this big P presence over and over and over again. Now here, let me show you in Numbers chapter 6. This is the blessing that God gave to Israel through the high priest Aaron. And he told Aaron to bless his people with these words. So here's what it goes. It says like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now, you've heard these uh, verses before, but did you know that word face is a Hebrew word, ponim. Ponim means uh, the presence of God. It means that God's face is looking in your direction. It means that you actually when you're in this kind of state, can actually see or feel, somehow have this experience of God looking at you. So Israel is given this blessing by their high priest. He's told to bless the people with this, to say, may the Lord illumine your life. May he look in your direction. May you know that he is with you in this very tangible, tangible way. For the Hebrews, God's face shining in their direction was like, God's blessing on their life. But just like us, they had a hard time reconciling their circumstances with this idea that God was with them. You know, when they were going through the Red Sea and the water was standing up on both sides, they could clearly feel the presence of God around them. But shortly thereafter, when they ended up in the wilderness, this hot, dry, dusty, difficult place, they started to doubt whether God was really with them. Sound familiar? <laughs> when my life is, I don't know, when I'm experiencing some huge moment of God, I'm like, man, God, you're amazing. But then I end up in the wilderness sometimes and I just have a harder time believing that God is with me. So how can we live our lives knowing that God is with us? Not just knowing in our heads, but knowing in our hearts, knowing by experience that God is with us. That he's looking in our direction. How can we live our lives in a way so that the circumstances of life don't determine our belief about what we think about whether God's with us or not? How do you live a life knowing that he's with you? There's this ancient monk, uh, 1600s, Brother Lawrence. He was a Carmelite monk, a volunteer in the monastery, and he often was in the kitchen doing the dishes. Brother Lawrence writes about his practice of the presence of God. That's what he called it. He, he practiced the presence of God. And as he did the dishes, he tried to pay attention to the God that was all around him. So that even the most mundane days of his life, the mundane tasks he was doing, he tried to practice the idea that, that God was around him and tried to notice the way God was around him. So this morning, I want to tell you, if you want to live your life knowing that God is with you, then you have to practice the presence of of God. Yeah, you, have to, you have to center your life, center your focus, pay attention to God's presence that's all around us all the time. 
And I want to give you three ways to do that this morning. I want to walk through three ways that you can practice God's presence in your everyday life. The first one is to, to practice passionately seeking the face of God. Now, we all know that the Scripture says if you seek the Lord with your whole heart, you'll find Him. But did you know that the Scripture actually encourages us to seek God's face? Look at Psalm 119. I've sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Or, or 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This, this word face is the same ponim that's in the book of Numbers. It's this, it's this kind of tangible presence of God that you're supposed to be going after. Passionately going after God's face and, and getting him to look in your direction throughout your week. You know, my daughter Lena taught me about this a few years ago, when she well, was many years ago. She was like three or four years old. She used to come, I'd be watching like a game on TV. I'd be sitting there watching the game and she'd come and she'd jump up in my lap and she'd start talking at me. And she wanted to tell me about her whole day. So she's in my lap and she's talking to me. And of course, I'm doing the dad thing. Because I'm kind of looking over her shoulder at the TV, at the game. And I'm going like this, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I'm looking at the, uh-huh, uh-huh, thanks. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, uh-huh. And I'm looking over like this. Well, I didn't think she really knew what was going on. You know, I th- I'm thinking, come on, this girl's three. What she, you know. One day, she grabs my cheeks like this. She turns my face and says, Daddy, look at me. And she holds my face right there, and then she just keeps talking, 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 talking. And she's not going to let me look at that game because she wants me to look at her. She wants to know that I am present with her in this conversation. You know, sometimes, seriously, throughout your week, your prayer can be this simple. Daddy, look at me. Now, you don't have to be demanding about it. But God wants to, he wants you to know that he's with you. He wants you to know that he's looking at you. That he's present with you. He wants you to experience that presence throughout the week. And it's amazing because so many people go through life, I do the same thing. It's amazing. I get into difficult situations where I kind of find myself spinning. And then I try to figure it out myself and fix it myself. Can you relate to this? And I try to figure out like all the answers and I try to, I don't know, I, I got all this ingenuity and all this big week college smarts I learned back in the day. And so, so I go after this problem and I'm going to fix this problem and I forget that in the scripture God encourages me to cry out to him. In fact, in Exodus 2.23, the Israelites are in slavery and there's this special word that is in Hebrew, the rabbis say, actually gets God's face to look in your direction. So look at this verse, it goes like this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. That word cried out is Zehekah. Zehekah. So they cried out to God in their slavery like, Zehekah, God, Zehekah. And the rabbis say when, when God hears that phrase, that cry, his head snaps in that person's direction. And he immediately looks there. I, I can relate to this because... When I was on a crowded beach one time and my daughter started to cry, among all the noise, my head snapped 
in her direction. Because I knew her voice. And I wanted to go help my daughter. When you cry out to God, when you say to him, Daddy, I need you to look at me. When you really cry out to him, he will turn his face in your direction. David did this in 2 Samuel 21.1. Look at this. During the reign of David, there was a famine for these three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. Do you seek the face of the Lord throughout your week? Do you ask him to look at you through all the stuff that causes you to spin? Uh, years ago, and uh, I was probably seven and a half years married, and uh, we were told by the doctors that we would not be able to have children. So after seven and a half years of marriage, um, we were told, you know, we don't know what's going on with you guys, but it doesn't look too good. Um, and we went through some more tests, some more procedures. About eight years into marriage, we had no kids. And then I asked my uh, students, you know, high school students are great because they'll tell you to your face what other people are saying behind your back. <laughs> so I know all the parents at the school are saying, how long has this client guy been married? Eight years and he has no children? What's wrong with that guy? So my kids are raising their hand in my class and they're saying, hey, what's, what's with you? You, know, you got no kids, right? How long have you been married? Eight years? And, I, and so finally I got up in chapel and I said, hey, uh, I need to share with you guys that uh, my wife and I have gone to doctors and we don't think we can have children. We don't know what's going on. Would you pray for us? <laughs> now, I don't know if that was a cry to God, but three months later, uh, we were pregnant. I've got four kids now. Now we've got to shut off the waterworks. <laughs> enough. It's like, okay, God, enough. <laughs> now I'm crying out for other reasons. <laughs> right? Hey, you know, folks, God wants to meet you in your spinning. But you need to cry out to him and say, hey, show me your face, God. Look at me. Look at me. Okay? So that's the first practice, to practice the presence of God. Seek God's face with great passion. The second practice is this. Practice recognizing the presence of God all around you. You know, I think many of us go through life, we don't realize that God's at work all the time all around us. He's doing stuff. And we go through life and we're unaware. We don't really pay attention. We just become oblivious to God and go through our days. Uh, in Genesis 28, uh, the story of Jacob, you know, he, he steals his birthright. First he dresses up like his brother, right, to his blind father, deceives him, steals his birthright. Then his mom says, hey, you better get out of here. Your brother's going to kill you. So he runs into the wilderness. And she says, go to your Uncle Laban's house. That's only a few hundred miles away. So here's a teenage kid being sent from his home, this dysfunctional home, to run to his Uncle Laban's house because he stole something from his brother and he, his brother wants to kill him. That's pretty much spiritual vertigo, wouldn't you agree? He gets out in the middle of the wilderness and he's there and he goes to sleep on a rock and he has this amazing dream. And in the dream, he sees an escalator with angels going up and down and at the top of the escalator is God and God says to him, I am the Lord your God and Jacob, I'm going to bless you. And he wakes up and look what he says. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Sometimes we can be in the presence of God and have absolutely no idea. Because see, we believe that our actions that our sin, that our stuff drives God away. Jacob grew up in a home that should have known what God was all about. 
But he runs into the wilderness, and when God shows up, he's totally surprised. Really? Are you surprised when God shows up in your life? You won't be if you actually practice the presence of God throughout your week. If you practice looking for, recognizing, searching for God all around you throughout your week. This Jewish theologian writes this about it. In every person's life, there are moments when there is a lifting of the veil at the horizon of the known, opening a sight to the eternal. To some people, they are like shooting stars, passing and unremembered. In others, they kindle a light, never quenched. When God shows up in your life, what happens for you? Is it like a shooting star that just goes on and it's gone? Or do you notice it and pay attention? Are you on a God hunt every day, looking for him each and every day? Searching for him in your life, trying to find where he's at work? Do you know that God is at work through the most crazy circumstances of life all the time, everywhere? He never sleeps. He never stops. He's with you. He's with me. I learned this in the craziest way back when I was a high school teacher at Timothy Christian High School in Elmhurst. Um, I used to get my house TP'd constantly. I was the student life director, so the kids thought this was really funny to TP my house. Um, I one time defended my yard with a hose and a hockey stick in the front yard. Um, that's another story. So this particular week, I, was, I came home. It was a weekend, uh, and some, sometime during the weekend, somebody came and TP'd my house, but it was a really lame job. It was like six feet off the ground. It, it was super lame. I cleaned it up in like 15 minutes. So I thought, when I get to school Monday, I'm going to tell these kids how lame this was. Big mistake. So I get up there in front of my class, and I'm like, you know, hey, say, somebody tried to TP my house this weekend. It was the lamest TP job of all time. It must have been girls, because it was only six feet off the ground. Oh, that was bad move. So now, you know, the next weekend, my wife and I go to visit her, her parents on the East Coast. We come back home, and uh, I pull in my driveway. The lights hit the trees. There is, like, thousands of pounds of TP all over my trees, all over my yard. I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, these girls have gotten me big. So the next morning, I expect at school that I'm going to be hearing, you know, a lot about this. I'm going to have kids like, you know, ooh, Reverend Klein, huh, those girls, well, yeah, what do you think? So, but I get to school, nothing. And I'm like, I don't know, this is weird. All day long, nothing. And I'm kind of asking around, like, who was, I'm like, you know, you don't have to hide this. I mean, this happens all the time. <laughs> so finally, Late in the day, one girl comes to my office, and she said, yeah, hey, Reverend Klein, we were the ones that TP'd your house uh, over the weekend. I said, yeah, why are you guys so quiet about it? Why are you so, like, it's all somber? It's like, well, it's kind of weird because, you know, Erica's mom drove us out there. <laughs> I'm like, what <laughs> is going on? Erica's mom drove us out there, and, you know, she was kind of waiting in the street out there, and we were TPing in the yard. It was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we were there for several hours. <laughs> I can tell. She said, but then we got back in the car and we started driving away and, and a Wheaton police officer pulled us over. Well, good. But then it was got, that's when it got really weird because they took Erica's mom out of the car and they gave her a breathalyzer test and she was actually drinking, had been drinking. And they took her away, they arrested her and put her in jail overnight. Turns out, Erica's mom was an alcoholic. No one knew. Because of this crazy TPing thing, because God's at work in every circumstance, even crazy stuff like this, I got to get involved in this family's life and help their family through alcoholism. 
There is nothing that's going on in your life that God's not in the middle of. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Who would think that God would be involved in a, a silly teepee thing? But God was right in the middle of this. He was revealing something that needed to be revealed through a crazy prank of high schoolers on their teacher. Ken Geyer, he writes a book, Reflective Life. He says it like this. Much of what is sacred is hidden in the ordinary, everyday moments of our lives. To see something of the sacred in those moments takes slowing down so we can live our lives more reflectively. Living reflectively provides opportunities during our day for a closer look at things, at people, and at God. The faster the pace of life, though, the more we will miss those opportunities. So first, seek the face of God. Second, practice recognizing God at work all around you throughout your day. Third, ask God boldly to bless you with his tangible presence. Now, I'm I'm fascinated by the, the... stories, the conversations especially of Moses and God in the book of Exodus. Exodus 32, 33, 34, great conversations. God's on the mountain with Moses. Now, you know Exodus 32, right? The people of Israel are building their golden calf because Moses has gone up on the mountain for 40 days and he's been gone and they're freaking out. You know why they're freaking out? Because the guy who represents the presence of God for them has left them. And since they don't know how to look for God themselves, they don't know how to find him, They start freaking out and they build a golden calf and they try to picture God riding on the back of the calf. And Aaron, the high priest, he gives in to this idea. So God's kind of irritated with these people, as you can imagine. Moses comes down, you remember this, and he takes the Ten Commandments, he throws them on the ground, they crack. He brings the Levites there, some punishments doled out. And then Moses goes back up on the mountain again to talk with God again. And on the way up there, he's having this conversation and, and the Lord says to him, you need to leave this place, Moses. This place is not, it's a God-forsaken place now. We've got to get out of here. But then God says, but Moses, I'm not going to go with you. Because if I go with you, these people are stiff-necked and I'm going to destroy them on the way. And Moses says to God, really? Are you kidding me? You gave me this job. These are your people. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with these stiff-necked people. Now you're going to leave me alone? Are you kidding me? And, and he's kind of irritated with God. And he says, God, you've got to go with us. You've got to go with us. And then look at what God uh, responds. Exodus 33, verse 14, says this. The Lord replied, my presence, notice the capital P, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's the same word that we just saw before, the word face, panim. That's the word, translated presence, big P. My face will go with you, Moses. I'm going to go with you. And then Moses you know, he's just like, he's got this terrible job he's been given, all these people to deal with. He ramps it up to another level. And, he, and look what he says in Exodus 33, 18. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And God must understand this to mean, show me your face. Because we'll just read these next few verses. Look what, look what God says. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand till I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now I love this. Moses has the boldness to say to God, God, I need you right here, right now. 
I want to see the whole thing. Show me your face. And God says, yeah, you can't handle that. But you can't see my backside. You know, Moses is the only one who ever asked this in the Bible. And God grants his request. Why wouldn't we ask for this kind of presence of God throughout our weeks? Why wouldn't we say to God, God, you need to show, I, I need to see you, God. I need to experience you. I need to be with you. I need to know you're with me. My kids taught me a lot about this back in the day. We used to play hide and seek at our house. And uh, the way it worked is they didn't want to hide because they were too afraid to hide by themselves. So I'd go hide, and they would all seek, all four of them. So I'd be hiding upstairs in a closet somewhere, and uh, here they'd come up the stairs, and I'd hear them, and they'd look around for a little while, and then this is what would happen. My daughter, Lena, would stop everybody. I hear her, she'd go, shh, daddy, make a noise, daddy, make a noise. And so I would knock on the wall, and, uh, and then I'd hear them, you know, they'd trample down the hall somewhere else, looking around, looking around, looking around, and then when they couldn't find me, then they, they she, I hear Lena again, shh, daddy, make another noise. And then I would start the homing signal, right? I'd be like, boop, 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 boop. And they'd find me, woo, let's play again. You know, sometimes, seriously, when you're spinning out of control, you know what your prayer needs to be? Daddy, I need you to make a noise. If you don't hear him the first time, Daddy, make another noise. Because sometimes we just need to know that God is with us, tangibly with us. And if you seek the face of God, and if you practice recognizing him throughout your week, and if you ask him to show up in your life, then what happens is you become a conduit of his presence to the world. Look at Exodus 34, verses 29 and 30. Look what happens with Moses. When Moses came down from the Mount, Mount Sinai with, two, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Can you imagine if we actually spend our time in the presence of the Lord, we will become radiant with his presence. And when people are in our, are in our presence during the week, they can experience through our lives the presence of God. Can you imagine a church where God settles in and people walk through the door and they're hit by his presence as they walk through the door? That's life-changing kind of stuff. And when you get this going on, it's amazing what God does. My brother Chris, I told you my bro brother Chris who lives in the wheelchair. He's 41 now, living in a wheelchair his whole life, cerebral palsy. His brain's perfectly normal in terms of mentally, physically. He can't move his hands. He, he struggles. He speaks on a machine. So years ago, I took him to a youth convention with me down in Tennessee, 3,000 students, and uh, I was one of the speakers, and Chris was one of the speakers. So I spoke first, and I had made this big 30-foot cross in the front of the auditorium and invited kids after my speech to come and pray at that cross. And some, some kids came. Two nights later, my brother Chris was on, and we were talking backstage, and I said, you know, Chris, tonight, you know, don't even mention the cross. We've kind of been there, done that. Why don't you just talk? And we'll just, you know, see what God does. So we agreed on that plan, and he went out with his machine, and he, you know, he punches the buttons with his toes, and the machine's in the microphone, he's speaking to the kids. He's telling a story to these kids. And he's telling them that God is with them, just like God is with him. And they're looking at this guy on stage who's kind of wiggling and pushing buttons with his toes, and they're listening to this. 
So he comes off stage, and I give him a high five. He gives me his, his foot, my hand, high five. I said, Chris, that was awesome. That was amazing. And as we're sitting backstage, a, a, a guy runs in the side here and says, you guys, you got to come out here right now. And we go out front, and there at the cross, I'm not kidding you, hundreds of students seeking the presence of God for their lives. And Chris got email after email saying, if you can believe that God is with you, then I can believe with my small problems that God is with me. A few days later, he got an email from a guy in Detroit. The Detroit Free Press had covered the convention. He wrote an article about Chris. A guy wrote him and said, look, uh, I was going out this morning got to get my newspaper. I was going to read my newspaper, drink my coffee, and take my life. Then I read your story. And I realized that God has more purpose for my life. And I want you to know, because of you, I'm going to keep living. See, when you get the presence of God in your life, I don't care what your physical thing is. I don't care what your problems are. God begins to radiate through your life. My brother Chris is literally has a radiant face like Moses because he seeks the presence of God in the midst of all his difficulties. Chris will tell you, God is good and he is with me. Do you believe that today? God wants you to know that he's with you. And he often gives us tangible reminders of this throughout our our time and and days. I'll finish with this story. Um, Years ago, after 9-11, so the planes that hit the World Trade Center, the airports had been closed for a few and for a week, I was a speaker, so I was traveling to Canada to speak at a youth convention there. And um, I couldn't fly into Canada. I had to fly into Buffalo, New York, and then drive into Canada. That was the rules then. And so someone asked me, are you afraid of flying? And I said, no, I'm more afraid of the people that pick me up at the airport. <laughs> uh, they usually send somebody who's not always the most skilled driver. And so this particular time, it was a, a little old Dutch flower farmer that came. He had a Dutch accent, and he picked me up at the airport, and he was a man of very few words. So I got in the car, and we just started driving. He told me, don't sit back, be comfortable. It'll just be a few minutes to get to Canada. We'll be fine. And, well, an hour and a half later, we were still driving around. I think we were lost. But um, one thing that happened in the, in the trip is he would mix up his, his pedals. Like I noticed, he, he'd hit the, the gas and the brake at the same time. So we were kind of lurching down the highway like this. It was, it was exciting. So, so we got to the convention, and, and uh, I go speak for all this time, and I kept emphasizing, guys, I need to get to the airport in a timely fashion. I'm trying to catch my son's baseball game, and if I miss my flight, this could be really bad, so I really need a good driver. Guess who my driver was? Yep, you guessed it. This time it's raining. He's driving his son's pickup truck. We're driving down the New York Thruway in Buffalo, New York, which is kind of a raised highway above the city. We're cruising along, and all of a sudden, the, the, the truck just stops in the right-hand lane of traffic. I turn and say, what's happening? He says, I don't know. Truck died. Must be wet. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> so so I, uh, I, I sit there and, and I'm looking out the back window and there's trucks coming at us at really high speeds and they're slamming their brakes and barely stopping, barely making it. And I'm like, we're going to die. This is terrible. I'm like, God, God, you've got you to help us. It's terrible. And then... I remember this was sitting next to me on the seat. The last kid that came up to me brought this out to me in the rain when I was getting in the truck. It's a worship flag. These kids would would dance around with these and they worship God throughout the convention. They say, hey, we we want to remember us worshiping guys. Take this home with you. So I picked this up. I I said to my friend, hey, you stay here. And I went behind the truck and I started. (laughs) And people began to see us. Pretty soon a cop pulled up. And he said, how long have you been here? I said, well, we've been here for like 10 minutes. We almost got knocked off this bridge. 
Because that doesn't surprise me. I think six people have been knocked off this bridge in the last year. See, God was with me even when I wasn't looking for him. He was there. He was preparing the way. He gave me a symbol of his presence. So now I carry this with me. Keep it in my office to remind me that God is always with me, that he's got my life. Will you practice the presence of God this week? Look for his face. Recognize him around you. Ask him to be present with you in your life. Let's pray together. Lord God, the circumstances of life tell us differently. But we know, both from what you say in your word, from our experience, that you are with us. God, I pray this week that you would turn your face in our direction. Especially in those people's directions who need to know that you're looking at them. I pray that we would seek you and find you. Especially your face. In your name we pray. Amen.